Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup, brought to you by Kappa Hemlock. I am the panel host, once again, Mackenzie, also general assistant at Kappa Hemlock, and we are joined by our OG panel today, all the way back in King Lear days when we first started this fun little adventure. We had all four of us together, and now we're back again after having some fantastic guests appear. Uh, so we're going to start things off again once again with Jill, our friend of the company, special guest of the day. Hello, Jill, everyone. hello. Welcome back. Hello. This is now, how many episodes ha um, have you done with us? You've this done... is my fourth episode. Correct. That's right. You've mm -hmm. only missed the Tempest so far. Yes. It's the only one you've missed uh, out of all of them. Correct. And what is in your cup today? So, of course, I have to start with my whole ensemble on Very theme. Um, so I decided to dress as a guest of Timon's. So I'm wearing sort of a glittery-esque top. I have a pencil right. skirt on underneath for effect. Um, I have these little hoop earrings. Mm -hmm. Hair is kind of a hybrid of Grecian look, but mixed with the female work attire style hair that is seen in this production. And then in my cup, I have a cup of white wine tonight. Oh. I wanted champagne, but quarantine times, white wine was the only thing I had in my house at the time. So cheers. Fair <laughs> enough. Next, we have our resident dramaturg, literary manager, Mr. Br Ryan Brockovich. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well, Mac. Thanks for having me back. Oh, anytime. You've also appeared on four episodes. Four the episodes. only one that I have not been on was Mackers because I was very happy to make room for our special guest panelist, Bridget Wilson. Correct. But I've been on every other episode so far. Yes. Including this true. one now. What is in your cup today? Um, I'm going back, since it's the OG panel, back to my OG green coffee mug with orange pink goatee. Ah, very Ooh. good. Very good. And last but certainly not least, we have our production manager of Cup of Hemlock, Mr. Edmund Clark. Ed, how you doing today? Welcome back. I'm doing so well. It's so good to be back. I feel like more of a guest than Jillian. I think I missed how many episodes? Two. Yes. Uh, so in my cup uh, is water, as always, spicing it up. Uh, but this is a blockbuster mug. That Loving I that. And it just made me think about all the good times when you had to go out of your way in person to buy DVDs from Rent. Netflix. No. <laughs> I know, I know. Also, That's a piece of history right there. Also, I it think is. it's on a theme because much like Blockbuster, Timon is also out of business, feels obsolete in this ever-changing world because he couldn't keep his finances up to date. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan took every single word right out of my head. <laughs> Perfect. And I am back to my silver tankard once again, and I also am drinking water, as I felt it was very appropriate with Timon's mm -hmm. uh, party in the show where he serves everybody a bowl of water. <laughs> yes. You may see me also drinking from a bottle, so nods up to Epimantis, bottle of water in this production, yeah. so I did have water as well. <laughs> very true. And so today, uh, in case you didn't read the title or the description on our YouTube page, uh, we will be covering the Stratford Festival production of Timon of Athens, directed by Stephen Olmet, who we've seen in a number of these shows already. From what do we have him in? We had him in Lear. We had him in Coriolanus. We had him in The Tempest. He was not now, in Macbeth, much like he myself. Was not in Mackers. <laughs> he, he, he was not in Mackers, but uh, he's directing this week, which is very nice to see his directorial efforts because he is one of the directors at Stratford and he also runs the Birmingham Conservatory there. So quite a well-rounded man. And this is his production that he did at the 
now demolished uh, uh, Tom Patterson Theater, which they've now been rebuilding. Because hmm. they, they, in the winters, it was like a hockey rink. And then in the summers, it was a theater. So this hmm. was the production that was filmed in the old Tom Patterson. Ooh, nice. So there we go. Once again, there. a little bit of history. Also, More, uh, obsolescence and the, the destruction of the old. Yeah, there you exactly. go. Retreating into its cave. <laughs> yes, exactly. And literally digging up the stage. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. So many wonderful little. We have fun. Yeah. <laughs> we do. Okay, so why don't we kick things off as we do on this panel uh, with who was our uh, best performed character of the show? Uh, Ed, why don't we start with you this time? Oh, goody. Uh, I think maybe I'm wrong. I'll, I'll speak for everybody right now. I think Appamantis was Snap, 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 snap. Yes. Was that where you I have a backup because I knew if anyone goes before me, they would probably say him. So don't worry. Smart, you're fine. Smart. Yeah, no, I just, I really enjoyed the, I mean, it's just a funny written character. Uh, yes. Just the dialogue is just so clever and so quick. Uh, mm -hmm. His delivery of it was, was pretty spot on. So it was good. There, there were some moments for me that uh, the attitude became a bit, uh, uh, I guess, I guess consistent. There was no, there, there wasn't too much differentiation from the delivery, but for the yes. most part, it was it, like, I, I did enjoy everything yes. and I could understand everything that he was saying. So exactly. I, I have to give it to Appamantis. My cups for Appamantis. Like that's just yes. such a fun character. Like yeah. even like yeah. reading the text, just like the description of him next to his name and the Germanus persona I list is just the churlish philosopher. And that's, I think sums him up very well. He <laughs> has that churlishness to him very much like a Diogenes type of figure. And yeah, and I really yeah. like the take that they took on with him as he is like a contemporary philosophy professor type, very much yeah. like hipster-esque in his suit. He reminds me an awful lot of, I don't recall the actor's name, who played Gail Bedecker in Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of looks like John Green to me from... Ooh. <laughs> yeah. like the novelist and star. <laughs> yeah, like... He mounted really well into this adaptation too. Mm -hmm. Like him modernizing this character was wonderful. Um, he was still really grounded in the text itself, but mm -hmm. then kind of had a swankiness to it that I think modern audiences can can relate to that character really well, especially with this text being very rarely read and or performed. Mm -hmm. um, and it, that was a great counterpart with Joseph's Timon too. Yes. Oh, they played off yeah. each other really well. well. One of my favorite little bits of staging here was in like the the mask scene that was reconceptualized as like a stripper party here, where mm -hmm. he's just reading yeah. his book and the strippers are taking it and he's yes. mad at them. Yeah, that was pretty. <laughs> like funny. I feel so yeah. seen. <laughs> I I did think for a brief minute when he took off his blazer that they were going to dance on him. <laughs> that, that's what I thought, but I, I did like the yeah yeah no ben carlson he is wonderful he is one of the many stock actors at stratford who's done so many things i mean we're going to see him again in taming of the shrew uh as uh, as they talked about in the cast reunion video like he's played hamlet he's mm -hmm. done captain von trapp uh he was a very good best day which this performance reminded me a lot of his best day when he did twelfth night that seemed kind of really dry witted 
uh, performance that he does. And we'll also be seeing him in Merry Wives. He plays uh, Pastor Hugh, the Welsh priest. Oh, exciting. So, Looking yeah, forward so, to that. Yes, yes, he's very good. Ben Carlson is one of those great actors of Stratford. And you know when he's going to be in a show, you're just yeah. in for a special treat of a performance. Yeah. So, Ryan, you mentioned you had a backup, just in case Apocalypse was snagged. I, <laughs> I figured it would be. So, okay, so this is more of an unconventional choice mm -hmm. that I will explain. Mm -hmm. But I will say my pick, if Ben Carlson's taken, is Michaela Davies as the third stranger. So let, let me explain for a minute. Okay. Uh, so something that really strikes me about this play is that there are a lot of characters in it, many of whom don't have proper names, and many of the ones that do are very interchangeable. Like there's always yeah. just like, there's like so many of like Timon's servants and Timon's creditors and like the servants of his creditors and the lords and the senators and mm -hmm. a lot of these interchangeable characters that I think like if I was, you know, if I didn't have Stratford's budget and I was directing a production of this play, I would condense each one of those into one character apiece. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Michaela Davies, who is credited as third stranger here, was one of the creditor servants who came to mob Timon when mm -hmm. with the you know the you know requests for a yes. payment. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she, she was in most of those scenes. She was the only female one. She was wearing like with the orange collar and necktie. Yeah, uh, right. I like how they were all differentiated by the same costume, but different color collar and necktie. And like my, my main reason for picking her out in general is uh, I've been following her career for a little while in Toronto. She was in the Soul Pepper Academy. I've seen her do many productions in there. She was wonderful in a play called The Thirst of Hearts, which mm -hmm. is an adaptation of my favorite novel, which is War and Peace, where she played Natasha. Mm -hmm. So when I, I was kind of taken aback when I saw her here and it stood out like, oh, I, I've seen her in things. It's so great to see her moving on up to the Stratford stage. And I think that is worthy of a special shout out Especially since Ed took Apamantis right out of me. Yeah. Very good. Tip my Very cup good. to Michaela Davies and the rest of those younger company members who yes. deserve their special. Quite team. a few Yorkies in the show. I mean, you had oh, Josh, really? you, had, you had Emilio, who, who were both in there, who were both. Oh, uh, which graduates. one was Emilio? Because I've heard so much about Emilio. He was oh, also in The Tempest last week as Adrian, I believe. He was in The Tempest and he was Malcolm in uh, Mackers as well. Hmm. So, oh, yeah. So, he, so yeah. So Emilio's done quite a few. Watch try and get him on for a panel. I feel like he'd be a wonderful hmm. person to have in there. So we'll definitely have to reach out to him for that. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, wonderful. Okay, Jill, who are you giving your cup to today? So Apamantis was my cheers, hear ye, hear ye. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I will do the same thing as Ryan. I have a second choice, but he's certainly not second rate by any means. Mm -hmm. He has been such a staple for me over all of these productions we've watched thus far is David Collins. Yeah. I gotta just chuck one up for him. I did that last he's week. I gave like, him that special show. He's such a chameleon. He's one of those actors that you mm. know in every scene that he's in and every show that he's in, he can play opposite sides of the spectrum and just slay everything. Yes. His voice is so unique to his, his gestures even. I focused a lot more on his facial expression during this recording because we'll probably get to this, but I, the filming of this was super neat for me too and different than other uh, the other films we've watched this yeah. far. Um, and so just honing in more on his facial expressions are so unique mm -hmm. as well. He's just, he's 
he's a diamond for me. So uh, he's the only just, person who's been in all five productions we've yeah. so far. Yeah, he is consistent. Just <laughs> yes. like cheers to David Collins. Very David good. Collins. Cheers, David Collins. Very well said on that front. I'm glad I, mean, well, I went first because I did not have a second. I knew <laughs> Abermantis was <laughs> really served yes. me up one. Yeah. I do. I actually do. And it is Michael Spencer Davis as Ooh, uh, Flavius. Yes. Flavius yeah. or oh. Flavius? I think it's Flavius. Flavius. Wonderful. Yeah. There's so many names. Yeah. There's so many names that sound very similar in this play. In yeah. true Shakespearean fashion, but yes, him. Uh, he plays kind of the stewardy butler character to Timon, and I liked it because he played it with such sincerity. Like there was just such a like you could feel his dedication to this man that even when he can't pay uh, a, Fla a, a Flavius anymore, like he still is there. Like there's the scene where he's standing over the hole, and yet there's a whole other scene going on, and you just see him in the background, just yeah playing guardian to this man who has lost his mind in a hole. Back, yeah, I have to agree with you that, yeah, Flavius was really well done. And mm. one, if I can point out just one moment that really stuck yeah. with me. Um, it's in Act 4, Scene 2. It's when okay. Flavius is telling the rest of the servants that, like, okay, time it is gone. We have to, like, go spread our separate ways or go yeah. find him. And, and there's a there's a stage direction in the text that's the servants embrace and go their separate ways. Mm -hmm. That there was one just really tender moment where they're about to leave, and one of them, I think it might have been Flaminius, actually mm -hmm. stops, yeah. turns around, and gives Flavius just a really tender hug, yeah. like yeah. to take that stage direction, really like do something moving with it. I thought was like yes. really a testament to both of those performers mm -hmm. that, and yeah. the directing force has a lot to do with yes. it. And I, 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 yeah, no, and I, I just want to back on that where what's neat about the, the the flavius relationship with timon is it highlights the class within within this world when it's the thing where all these time periods like if you can watch downton abbey where, where, where you have that kind of upstairs downstairs routine with um carson and uh what's his name the head of the house um the father figure. I don't watch the show. Yes, I do. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes, Aren't you right. Him, yes. the the dad. But it's mm -hmm. that same type of relationship where they're back and forth with each other, and they're and they're friends. It's almost like Frodo and Sam from Lord of yes. the Rings too, where it's that master servant thing where they go beyond that, and now they are mm -hmm. friends, and they but yet at the same time they have that weird class thing where you at the beginning where you see them talking about the paint counts, and he's saying, "Are you if you're accusing me of something, then go take me to court." Yeah, like there's that real kind of push and pull with them and they really played off each other really nice with Joseph Ziegler and Michael Spencer Davis. It's almost like the fool and yeah. um and Lear. Very yeah. similar relationship with each other. And it's 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 really nice. So yes, my yeah, you're you gonna add something on to the I was just going to add, I had written down in my notes too, um, I also super admired the way that character was mm -hmm. fleshed out. But um I was a question I guess opposed to all of us is mm -hmm. Um, do you think that character could have been played on a more serious tone? Um, now we do have Epimantus sort mm -hmm. of acting as the rational, mm -hmm. you would assume, friend of Timon's as well, a long, long head friend of Timon's. But with, um, I guess, with the idea that there's the three other servants of mm -hmm. Timon's, uh, could you play Flavius as a, having a bit more, un, like, annoyance towards Timon neglecting his like a bit more um, attitude. Yeah, like you could. I, yeah, 
I mean, I guess you could directorially make him that, but mm-hmm. I, but I, I, I think that takes away from who Flavius is. Where Flavius, yeah. because of the fact that he says, "I've told you multiple times, watch your money, watch your finances." Yeah. But if he, if he's too aggressive or like too outspoken, then it's like, okay, well, why didn't Timon listen? That's the fact that he's a little bit more of a soft-spoken. Yeah. And I think, like, oh, well, that's why Timon can overlook him and kind of push The more him off. we talk about it, too, Aphimantis mm-hmm. is already kind of there as that rational, yeah. grounded exactly. facet and of Timon. I also kind of think, like, Aphimantis is such a Debbie Downer all the time that even mm-hmm. though, like, he's right about most of the stuff, it's so easy to not listen to him. Right. And then Flavius is, like, a very timid, he almost, like, reminded me of, like, Pooh Bear. Like, yeah, like, yeah, or, like, a little puppy like, dog or something. So, like, I, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that oh, Timon doesn't listen to him. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with I agree with Matt that he like how he played it and how he contrasted against the others who were taking or who had adopted that more serious under those more serious undertones or sarcastic undertones where it even plays into the line that Timon says uh, close to, towards the latter half of the play where he goes he's the the only honest man right? <laughs> and I think it's because Flavius has just always been so tender. When yeah. it comes yes. to timing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Great. Well, there we go. Good so, choice, Mac. Yes. A, a cup raised to Michael Spencer Davis. Cup raised. Cup raised. Very good. <laughs> okay. All right. Now we get into the part where we the sad uh, talk about the characters who, yeah. who we don't feel were represented as well. And I actually mm-hmm. want to kick this one off because I got sure. a feeling it will go for spawn it. a lot of conversation. I have to say Joseph Ziegler. I honestly, I was gonna say the same thing. As I was gonna I, say the same thing. Are, oh, really? I was <laughs> yeah. not. Okay, we all so probably contribute. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. He's a wonderful actor. I mean, uh, we've watched him in many great performances, whether it's at Soul Pepper or at Stratford. But yeah. what I found became the challenge of time, and I've seen this now twice. I saw it at the movie theaters when they first screened it, and I hadn't seen this Stratford. I was only seeing it on, on the big screen, and then I saw it again. And both times I was like, first part he does really well where he's playing this multi-leveled performance, but then after he does his Athenian angry speech and storms off mm-hmm. and then he's in the whole the rest of the show, it's all one level with him. There's very little yep. change in his voice or his uh, um, emotions. And then it becomes kind of uh, flat. It becomes kind of like, you're just now yelling at me a lot. And time oh, and yeah. yes, I, I guess for man, it's like, go watch Confiore's King Lear when, in his madness scene. Where, yes, he's yelling at some points, but then other times he's very soft. Like, so, However, like, two very, very different characters. Which Lear, is, Lear is softer overall, I would agree, but yes. I still think there was room for more nuance, especially yeah. for the better half of the yeah. My yeah. big concern and why I put him on my list and actually didn't come prepared with the second choice, so I'm glad we're all kind of <laughs> in agreement. Um, like, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think he's wonderful. And I really did love the first half where he is like, oh, benevolent, not a care in the world. And even like when he's like, the, I love the funny scene where he's like shaving with like his like towel on when the creditors bombard him. Right. But, with but, his razor. Yeah. yeah. But, but the thing that really kind of like not even irked me, I just, I was very concerned for his vocal cords the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And that took yeah. me out of the performance, not because he was yelling, but just because like, his tone of voice was very raspy. He was like, he felt like very like, I don't know if it just was like a lack of vocal warm up or he wasn't on so, the enough. But... To add on to Ryan, and I agree with both Ryan and mm-hmm. Mac heavily. Um, mm-hmm. I, so just so everybody knows, I don't know if I, I didn't state this in my past videos, but I have over 11 years of theater performance experience. And my last 
three years has been focused intensely on voice. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I put it to the side uh, that during the first half of the performance, before he has, before he starts to realize that he's in a room full of cutthroats and people that yeah. don't have his back, you know, up until that point, I was like, okay, is it, it's not too, it's not horrible. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, it, there's nothing that stands out that I would say, okay, this is my least favorite. But yeah, going on what Max said after that, once he did have his explosion, it stayed explosive. Mm-hmm. And his voice was very limited. Uh, the speaking from the throat, the raspiness, I mean, it was mm-hmm. from the beginning of the play, but once he reached that peak, he tried to stay at that peak. And there was none of that nuance to mm-hmm. help him go back down and raise himself yeah. back up. How I like to look at Shakespeare, especially like, and I and I think I said it in one of the other videos, I think it was with Coriolanus, how those lead roles can often be traps. <laughs> where yes. It's, it, if you see a powerful character, usually people play them powerfully all the time, mm-hmm. but powerful characters don't need to play powerful if they know that they are powerful. <laughs> um, and one analogy that I give with Shakespeare text is that because it's so full of images, images of different phrases and mm-hmm. like a outline of a coloring book with a house, mm-hmm. right? You don't color the sky, the grass, the house, the window, the doors, all red. Mm, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my, my, yeah, I, I heavily okay. agree with Ryan, right? Like the biggest thing is that the voice took me out of it and then. Mm-hmm. With Mac, it's it just stayed there till the yeah. end. Yeah, I like, think two weeks. Sorry, Mac, you want to go first? Here? Sure, of course. Uh, so uh, no, I was going to piggyback off that where I think when we talked about this in Lear with Confior, where uh, mm-hmm. Andrew talked about how the biggest voice moment for Lear should be the storm, and then yeah. after that we should see a yeah a drop in the voice. And I feel that's the same way with Timon, where Timon's biggest voice moment should be at the end of that moment where he's yelling at, at the walls of Athens and he's cursing them. And then yeah. throughout, throughout his time in the hole, we should see the, the man becoming weaker and weaker because he's living yeah. off roots and water, which <laughs> would physically just make you- Sun rashes. Sun rashes, your heat stroke, like you should be, like we should see that progression. Of yeah, the, more weakness. Exactly. Yeah. I will yeah, say as a subtle defense to him, mm-hmm. if I were to dramaturgically yes, dissect why perhaps it became one tone and or one volume yep. is because the way he was communicating with people, the way he spoke, the life he mm-hmm. lived completely gets kiboshed and he mm-hmm. is now alone, trapped, Mm-hmm. We see him in the same location, um, exhausted mm-hmm. at wit's ends. Like most of the latter half of his dialogue is just him cursing or long strands of basically, um, I was going to say a swear word, but I can't do that. Um, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Hating humanity in a sense yeah. that he can't understand mm-hmm. their... Um, it's just there's the, the lack of communication that happens. So yeah. yes, I do agree. Like from a from an actor's perspective, vocally, one hundred percent. There were times where I was a little on edge. Of are yeah. you healthy? Are you doing that okay? Um, but I don't think it it was done unjustified. If no, that makes I think. Sense. But Jill, I, I think what I could hearing play, kind yeah. of in what you're saying is 
like if we're going to make the Lear comparisons, which I know is easy to do with this play, and we have a whole discussion question plan for we that do. later. So, yeah. uh, but I think what I what strikes me is the difference here mm -hmm. is that with Lear, and especially with Calm Fior's portrayal that we mm -hmm. saw a few weeks ago, uh, I definitely believe that Lear has like had this complete change of status and has gone mad and has undergone this change. Whereas with Timon, and perhaps this was a deliberate acting or directing choice, I don't know, but to me it felt like the second half of the play was Timon impersonating what he thinks a madman looks like, more yeah. so than I actually feel like yeah. he became mad. And I think that is like the stark okay. contrast. Which, and, interesting. You know, maybe that was the plan all along. Hard to say. I would yeah, say that's I mean, a I mean, definitely interesting could, choice. Yeah. Yeah, if I, I they mean, were to keep yeah. going with that. I mean, you I have another like he's doing that, where where, where he's doing the, mm -hmm. hey, when people come by my hole, I'm going to play mad just so they leave me alone, and then the rest of the time it's, okay, I'm just here digging my hole. Yeah, well, if they were to be going with that, I think the scene with Appamantis and him uh, plays pretty well, where he's kind of telling him, hey, man, you don't need to be doing this. You don't need to be digging yeah. a hole. And to go off of what uh, Jillian was saying, uh, to semi uh argue with that um Ooh. i think it would have been semi interesting because yeah. uh, i get it you would back into a corner this is the this is probably the only form of communication you can have but i think would have been a really interesting choice and this comes more directorially uh is if he adopted the persona or the tones moods or however you want to say the rhythm Mm -hmm. of Appamantis, and Appamantis adopted his uh, timings from when he was in the beginning. So Jill, who is your other person? Yeah, um, so just small, because I overall mm -hmm. I thought all the characters were done very well, and they were all mm -hmm. justified, especially this being a piece that's not performed often. There really wasn't much to compare to or contrast mm -hmm. to, rather. So mm -hmm. this, I don't think, was the actor's fault by any means quite possibly maybe directorially this was, but Tim Campbell as our Alcibiades. Mm -hmm. Which one was that? He's um, the military leader, yeah. the general. Oh, yeah. okay. He's the one at the end that, you know, yes. calls the shots with the bombings and stuff. Yes. So I just wanted to see, again, it had nothing to do with the mm -hmm. actor. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was, this is coming from it directorially, but just at the beginning, I wanted to see more of a presence mm -hmm. with his character, even though I know it's very mm -hmm. the plot to what we're actually mm -hmm. supposed to be focusing on. but. Mm -hmm. Um, near the end, I think I thought he really held, took charge and held mm -hmm. ground. And I actually got goosebumps from his performance. So toss to that. But um, yeah, I just, I felt that could have grown a bit mm -hmm. more than it did, um, yeah. especially because with this, especially with this interpretation, he was such a heavy presence at the end. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit taken out of, I didn't necessarily trust that this character was doing what he was doing because I wanted to know more about him earlier on. And again, yeah. I don't know if that would be a directorial thing or quite possibly maybe there's another letter to be sent to Shakespeare to the line of I think, give me more of him, but. I think what, yeah. well, cause I agree with you. I think mm -hmm. what could have probably helped technically speaking what, uh, as a performer, what could have happened is to speak slower okay. and to speak with more, precision he is a military man so it would make sense he doesn't have as many lines as most characters so yeah. when you hear him speak it won't it won't oh it won't always feel like he's speaking so slow but somebody who takes their time when they speak uh because in this whole thing like and i i i'll speak about it 
more later, but it is very dialogue driven. So yeah. so many people talk and talk fast and like in a room of mm -hmm. senators, they talk fast, uh, mm -hmm. arguing and bantering upon mm -hmm. one another. I think that's just one way that uh, it is my actor brain speaking. Uh, he, he could have stood out where, okay, this guy takes his time. This guy is this impotent. He's already like just this physical frame right. uh, is all his position imposing. even too, you know, soldier yeah. versus senator. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it would have been cool to see a senator go da, 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 and go. Mm. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's just. Yeah. What I think is interesting about that character is he's essentially living out the plot of Coriolanus in a B plot in this play. <laughs> exactly. He's given reason to turn against his home, the city of Athens. Yeah. And then, you know, revolts against it. And, you know, yeah. but because, yeah, he doesn't have the Coriolanus worth of character development, mm -hmm. that it really just, yeah, it seems to come out of nowhere when suddenly, oh, the end of the play is almost all about him. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, uh, what's the actor's name again, Jill? Uh, Tim Campbell. Uh, Tim Campbell, yeah. Tim Campbell. I will say he looks like a military man, like that big, oh, very yeah. chested. Yeah. Especially in the first time he's in the uniform, like, he just came in and I was like, oh, you totally yeah. look like my classic Hollywood, like, military man. Like, someone needs to yeah. swoop him up and, like, All of our military men thus far. Yeah. Graham Abbey, Andre Sills, like, cheers yeah. to, to the, uh... Cheers to military. They need to do a production of Titus with those three men, I have to say. Yeah. Get those three men in, in a production of Titus, they would kill it. Ooh, for sure. no pun intended. Aha! A lot of killing in that uh, way. That's very good. Yes, very true. Okay. All right, now we get on to our favorite production element. And, Ryan, I want you to kick us off this time for this question. Okay. What is your favorite production off, element? So I already kind of started getting into it when I talked about the okay. colors and ties, but I loved yes. the costumes in this production. Mm -hmm. And good. I loved a lot of like the small details of the costumes, like the, the fact that all the different creditor serpents had the exact same outfit, but different colors and ties. One of my favorite tiny details, and it's like a blink if you miss it thing. But speaking of Alcibiades, before he defects, when he's in his military uniform, it has the contemporary Greek flag. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm like, that's just such a fun detail. That is like yeah. not yeah. not important, but somebody put thought into that, and I'm just like a sucker for that stuff. Especially yeah. if you're going to do like the contemporary reimagining. It's mm. nice that you actually take that to its logical conclusion. Like it's Athens, therefore, let's do the modern yeah. Greek flag. To, yes. to subtly add on that too, Ryan, the the dresses of the female dancers, it was mm -hmm. very Grecian and even well, the whole yeah. dance was sort of choreographed, but also modernized. Because they're the sense. Amazons, like in the text, yeah. that whole scene is a mask, so to speak, mask with a Q, like a right. courtly performance. And I think it's very kind of clever to turn that into, okay, these are like businessmen, turn it into a bit of a like stripper party kind but of thing. But even so, <laughs> like making it, still making it sort of rooted in grecian attire yeah, and the dance alone it almost seemed like a themed a yeah, modern themed party you know those like, characters like a are like stripper or something like amazons which i don't think there's like a line of text that said it. it's just in the stage directions it's cute yeah there's no line of text that says what they are they just says that there's a present mm -hmm. for time in and, yeah. and yeah. they bring in these people for a mask party yeah mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like of course, and then speaking of costumes, like Timon's hobo suit in the whole latter half yeah. of the play. Um, <laughs> especially we talked about the sun scabs and like it's just like he, considering how classy and dapper he looked in the first half, just to like see that transformation, even if so that yes, we discussed didn't necessarily like yeah. come meet up the 
to the task. I think the costume alone is just beautiful to look at and how grotesque it is. And it played into the like de- degradation of man too. Mm, of you know, each element got mm. grittier and grittier as, as the show went on. I loved his yeah. dirty suspenders on that costume. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's such a nice detail. They even there like, was a moment though. I was suspenders. like, I just want to pull them up. Like they're saying <laughs> a little bit. I just, I just want to fix like you time and like. <laughs> I like when he's just tapping on the. Um, when he finds the gold and he's just tapping on it, like, what's this? After you just finished, like, yelling at the gods and being like, oh, <laughs> I want a root, not gold. God damn it, gods. Yeah, right. <laughs> very true. Very so that's true. my jail. Very yeah. good. Costumes. So, great segue, because that was a close second for me, costumes. Mm-hmm. But um, along the same lines, I have to say, set was my favorite design oh. element. Mm-hmm. All of them, I think, played really well, like, all of the mm-hmm. design elements was the perfect cherry on top to this performance, but set for sure, because I thought it was so simple, yet so effective. Like Ryan yeah. was saying, the little details of mm-hmm. furniture placement. Um, talking back mm-hmm. to the the Grecian sort of nod, the senator's mm-hmm. desk had that yes. sort of modern, swanky black marble, but then the column yes. legs, you know? Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, and then even just talking mm-hmm. in the scenes with the time, time and the way that they, uh, dug up the stage per se. That yes. that image to me was so visceral, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and I thought it, it played into similar to the costume. It played into mm-hmm. you know the destruction of of time and the destruction mm-hmm. of man, and literally trying to get to the root of the play, the mm-hmm. root of the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so it, there was mm-hmm. yeah. I had a, I, I had a drawing I would, heyday with this. I, <laughs> I, I would say. Oh yeah. no, Ryan, you go mm-hmm. first. Well, also just like while we're talking about the set theater in the round is very difficult to stage yes, around so like sure. in the set, everything has to like correspond yes. with that yeah. so they made great use of it and the fact that we're yeah. watching it as a film we have the luxury of like spinning around and seeing mm-hmm. it from different angles yeah. but the fact that it has to make sense to every single audience member regardless yes. of which of the so four sides play even more into that mm-hmm. the chairs used for the banquet sequences were see-through and to me yeah. that yeah. also had so many meanings a, I thought of that too, Ryan. I was like, oh my God, these chairs, it's one less object in the across audience mm-hmm. members view. They can mm-hmm. look right through the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also played into, you know, a lot, a lot of people sitting in these chairs, you can mm-hmm. see right through them. They're fake, yeah. right? Yeah. They're so, you know, and, and even the banquet sequence alone, the, mm-hmm. the idea of sort of staging the um, cutlery and everything is very black and white. Again, mm-hmm. that played into the fact that a lot of these characters in this play see things as very black and white, mm-hmm. right or wrong, mm-hmm. um, which contrasts to me Timon's whole ideal of, of, yeah. of exuberance and having a bit mm-hmm. more of a colorful way of thinking of humanity. Mm-hmm. So there's just there's the, the detailing into every set piece. And yeah. I'll say it props even too, if we go into the three mm-hmm. households that the servants go into as well, mm-hmm. like the iPhone, the VR, uh, like virtual reality component mm-hmm. and the iPad, you know, yeah, the stock market, three different, yeah. yeah, the three different modern props. Mm-hmm. You could have made it yeah. not even apparent. The fact that you yes. did, it sort of played mm-hmm. into so many other themes yes. and motifs that we'll get to later too. But just at nothing on the set to me, I questioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I will say that unfortunately, set made my other list. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. It made my list not because it was bad, but I just felt because if you, if you, uh, for people who will never be able to see the old Tom Patterson theater, but it's a very long alley uh, thrust mm-hmm. stage with very limited uh, um, 
storage in the back for for, the, for this for, for the show. So that's why when you see, so I need to show Tom Patterson. There was very limited set to what they could do, and this kind of stuck with that theme. And I just felt out of all the pieces, I just felt I was like, this is like there just wasn't a lot of it to discuss so I, or or get into. So I was like, okay, yeah, like it's nice they mix the modern and the Greek with like the desk with it with the columns underneath it. I was like, that's nice. And the and the stage opened up, which was the coolest effect of the set. And I was like, out of all those production elements, I was like, that's not my strongest or favorite okay. element of them. I mean, it wasn't a bad thing. I mean, he mm-hmm. did a very good job with his production team of working with what he had. I just think the Tom Patterson has never really lent itself in its old formation to giving us a great set kind of like what we saw with the festival stage with with the tempest where we had that beautiful tree. The set was, was my favorite element of it. I, ah, very I good. really I really like the modernization mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Athens. Yes. Like, and it just plays into that costume piece as well with yeah. uh the Greek flag, but the mm-hmm. you know the marble that they're walking on, the desk mm-hmm. as Jillian pointed out. Mm-hmm. Um the chairs, the, mm-hmm. the the lounge seats. Yeah. Um there was something else that was really cool about this set too. I can't remember. Um, oh, the lighting uh, against the set was. Yeah. It, uh, usually, I, I I have a, I, so one I, I'm not always for modernization, piece or like modern pieces with like or modern takes with Shakespeare. But like I really did like this one. I really did yes. like the set. Yeah. Uh, I don't have really too many complaints about the production <laughs> uh, aspects. I would say like I'm I'm battling between lighting and costume. I have <laughs> like, lighting on my favorite list, so I I have I have lighting or costume on mm-hmm. my not favorite. But like no! it's, it's 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 not that it's that it's bad. It's just mm-hmm. if if we're going by least, then mm-hmm. uh, my like with the costumes, I thought there could have been a bit more distinguishing looks between the servants mm-hmm. and the uh, debt collectors. Mm-hmm. Like the assistants uh, from the senators, and I mean, yeah, you could, I maybe a little bit more of a distinction between the senators as well. But mm-hmm. I, like, it's not, it's not anything too big, and like, it, it's yeah. there. It's just I, I'm just being greedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the lighting was very it's kind of flush, and is that right? Am I using that right term, flush? I'm not a lighting guy. Yeah, the lighting was very washed, but I, I really liked it with the, especially when they were indoors and when they were in the club, mm-hmm. uh, there's just one, I thought, <laughs> oh, maybe this would be kind of cool if they did it like a green light instead of a blue light with, mm-hmm. when they reached mm-hmm. the senator's rooms or when they're at the table, uh, because it, it just kind of plays into the, you know, green for greed. Uh, with within you know Shakespeare's own text and mm. um but uh, yeah, no, that's like it's not it's minus. Well, mood. I will say that lighting did make my standout list because mm. I felt the lighting really kind of pulled everything together because it was such a limited set. The lighting really added that element, like uh, 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 that dry heat with mm-hmm. that orangey yeah. red and that moon that nice beautiful moon they have that that circular fixture that we were always taken to and especially because our Mm -hmm. the filming of it basically that set the Mm -hmm. mood for everything for us right us being virtual viewers i thought that was an awesome it's great yeah yeah it's great i mean i mean yeah like that dry heat of act two you just felt with those lights and also every passage it felt (laughs) sticky it felt hot 
and they also developed that great passage of time with like that they were really great with that with the changing of the lights yeah. where like night versus day and you got to see that progression of time but then even during act one where they talk about how like the water it's blue it's flowing like the money is flowing so it's that right. nice yeah. rich color oh, when, blue. Uh, time and is sort of having hallucinations mm -hmm. or yes. elusive dreaming too yes. the the sort of um mm -hmm. dumbing down the lights and having yeah almost like apparitions pass. Yes. I thought that was a neat way of doing it, especially in the round. I feel like that would yeah. be kind mm -hmm. of tricky to. And, and I, symbolically and I, yeah. with like going from night to day, Hyman mm -hmm. is, you know, the dark, you don't, you don't really yeah. see too far, right? Mm -hmm. And the sun is revealing and he's yes. under the sun, under the beating yes. sun as he gets hotter yeah. and hotter. So, yes. you know, the, and, the eye yeah. watching. Mm -hmm. And I will say the uh, battle scene, with the lighting mm -hmm. was yes. so great so and good, it reminded yeah. me of a very modern thing we used to have which was the invasion of iraq oh, where, yeah. where when you watch the new shots of like those nighttime shots of them firing the missiles yeah of iraq and starting yeah. to blow it all up and starting the invasion there i was like oh steven all that you brilliant man and like, i kind of admired right back yeah yeah i liked that he added strobe effect for that as opposed to the party scene yeah, I really liked the lighting for the party scene. I found because yeah. there was yeah. so much going on actively mm -hmm. with and and little things. I mean, I I can't imagine. I feel like it would be even more overwhelming seeing it yeah. in the theater because you have mm -hmm. so many different ways to look. Whereas again, us mm -hmm. our view was kind of more scoped, so we were able to see mm -hmm. Appamantis throw his book, mm -hmm. but we weren't able to see what all the other lords were doing yes. per se. Mm -hmm. But um, I think if they added strobe lighting especially sitting in the audience and that scene it kind of fully would have gone over our heads yeah. and then i just it would have been icky to kind of use that same effect with the the bombing effect at the end too yeah. so that would imply that this party is just like a war well which arguably i guess enjoying it <laughs> you could you could say that too it does yes does stem it a lot would be a choice that would yeah. To be made, but I think you're right. It's better that they save the strobe just for that wow moment at the end. And like you said, Mac, it was very evocative of something that we frequently see fetishized on the news of certain yeah, missile attacks and bombings. So yeah, I was very pleased with that sequence as a spectator, and, not knowing that it's not actually a real war bombing. Yeah, it yeah, and also the, the the battle scene reminded me of something Bridget talked about in Mackers, where where they did the whole flay on scene in the bomb and then had the rest of yes and had the rest of the action uh in the dark sitting up for the banquet moment and it's very similar right. to this where like you have mm -hmm. uh what i forget the ge the general what's his name yeah alcibiades standing up in the audience there talking and they're bombing but then on stage you know what they're really doing is they're closing up that hole yeah. uh, uh time and hole and getting clearing yeah. the stage basically of all that mm -hmm. stuff which is yeah, it's kind of talking about yeah. what we talked with Macker's Mac of it being yes. showing, choosing what violence to show and what violence not to show. Yeah. yeah. So and, and the fact that when the lights come up, you just have all these bodies mm -hmm. strewn across the stage. I was like, oh, that's such a great moment. And my honorable shout out is the makeup, which mm -hmm. is something that Stratford doesn't do very often. I mean, like we saw it with Macker's with the Banquo wounds, but with this, speaking as and a gymnast. Yes, yeah. the Tempest. Mm -hmm. uh, but speaking as a ginger who has had many a blistering sunburn, you uh, see, there you go, Jill. Literally Watch on the shoulders. Exactly, <laughs> and just watching that skin blister, I, I just, it just made my skin crawl because I was, I was like, like, yeah, they're doing I'm really in. well. They're, they're yeah, really like, showing oh, it. <laughs> I'm in, like, I know exactly that 
pain you are feeling with that heat of that sunburn oh. on you. I was like, make up, great job of making time and look mm-hmm. beaten and miserable. I, I wanted like, to just throw him a big baggy pool t-shirt. And I was like, here you go, time. And that's your wardrobe for the rest of the season. I was like, time and get some aloe, buddy. Ask somebody to get you some aloe. You got some gold there. Go buy some aloe. Rub that on your shoulder. <laughs> Who needs an apple? Make- I, need an, I need aloe up, Amanda. Exactly. I don't need an apple. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Uh, so, uh, Ryan, what was the production one that didn't quite work for you? Hmm. Like, overall, before I'll preface what I'm about to say with, I, I liked most of it. Like, I really yeah. can't complain. So that's why I'm forced to pick something very nitpicky. Okay. Like, very nitpicky. That's, okay. I have to preface it with that, just so you don't think, oh, that's nitpicky. Like, I know. But <laughs> I had to think of something for this question. And, like, so it's it falls within props. And that it's, so it's in the, the VR scene, uh, the one where it's in the, yeah, Act 3, Scene 2. And it's where they come to the Lord or the Senator who has, like, you know, fancy VR setup. And, Swimming with yes. whales, yeah. Yeah, and like, and like I, I, don't, I don't take issue with the VR. That's fine. It was a clever choice. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but then after uh, the main conversationalists or interlocutors of the scene leave, and it's the two female servants remaining. No? Okay. Yeah. So I thought this was really clever at first when the yeah. line was, I have the line here. It's like, do you observe, do you observe this? Hostile. Yeah. I can't say the character's name, but like, do you observe this? And I too well, and she showed her phone and they were recording the whole conversation. And ah. I think that, so my first thought was that is so clever because to observe something in this contemporary setting, you know, back then it would have been like, did you take note of this so we can like do something with it later? Are you the witness? And like that is like the contemporary way of witnessing. My problem is that great idea feels wasted in that moment because nothing ever comes of that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Observing that encounter, getting it recorded. I'm like gonna it, jump on Ryan's bandwagon. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to? you want to say something about this? No, 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 no. I just, I'm just, I just agree with you. I, yeah, I agree like, with you. Like I, I, I have a very hard time. Like I'm almost more forgiving of, like bad ideas so to speak than very good ideas that are squandered in this way <laughs> like in- i will debate this whole combo oh, i think please, because please i think it's very indicative especially because i think this production isn't necessarily sheerly modern i think it's similar to what our coriolanus was where it could be post-apocalyptic like in regards to these three households are the costuming is similar but also astronomically different i'm not sure exactly what year, you know, every scene is potentially taking place in. So if though we are to kind of use that specific scenario as being the modern way of observing something of recording something, I guess personally I can relate. There's so many things in my life that I've taken a picture of or I've recorded or whatever that never gets brought to fruition. I never oh, post anywhere, I, I never it's shared anywhere. That's- my my answer to that is that's in life, but in theater we have a thing called yeah. Chekhov's gun. And when you introduce a detail, it has to fire. Yeah. Sometime in act I was going to say. <laughs> so I I, I think this play challenges a lot of a lot of stuff like that too, and I think we'll get into that when we we have further questions about that. But mm-hmm. um, it 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 yeah, I think yeah. I think it it can be posed as a challenger. If okay. again, if we were to justify. Why I, I opened this point with it's very nitpicky and it doesn't like make yeah. or break anything. It's just if you're asking 
one thing that I was disappointed with. I think mm. if you're going to do a really cool idea with that, I would have loved to see it pay off somehow or maybe save that for another play where witness testimony is more important, like Much Ado About Nothing, where that could have like something like that brought up when we're talking about witnessing a mm. um, hero in an unfaithful act. Like there's a lot of Shakespeare plays where witness testimony is important. And I felt like to use that idea on this one felt like a missed opportunity or mm-hmm. or missed opportunity to not use it better elsewhere, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe she Fair accidentally enough. deletes it. Maybe, but then why? Or, <laughs> or, 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 or I will say it could be commenting the fact that we film things like that, but then when we don't post them, it's almost like them not taking enough care for timing. Where it's like... like yeah. Again, it's just another element of excess, I think, too, that this play presents. Like, it's a bunch of extra stuff that's happening on the stage, quite honestly, too. You know, like, making the whole transition of music listening that long, like, you're made to sit through, like, the changing levels of music. Um, So it could add to just another element of, of... excess nonsense that time and hits on that much of humanity dabbles in and that's almost seems like their priority versus genuine relationships with each other you know yeah but again like there's probably a good explanation down the line i feel like we could certainly come up with any number of good explanations but like i think maybe that's giving it a little too much credit <laughs> and again not a big deal such a minor thing i've chose to talk about here no things minor we will bring them to the table there are no minor instances and like overall i'm saying it was a good clever idea i just feel like it wasn't used to its best potential is all right fair enough jill is there anything on the production that you felt could have been this this is the the weakest part of the correct yeah so again i like i've said with characters and the set and everything too nothing really stood out as being Mm -hmm. off or weak in my i thought it was very clean tight production Mm -hmm. overall one thing i just kind of would maybe want a little bit more of or quite possibly stage it differently um is the bantering that goes on with timon and apomantis um Mm -hmm. and in this i'm saying I kind of wanted it to be more animalistic as opposed Mm. to comedic because I feel like that was a moment of the play where both characters could sort of blow up within themselves and Mm. at each other. And there was a wonderful, and again, talking, I didn't even know we're going to bring this up, but talking to this piece potentially breaking the rules or, you know, in, in a theatrical way, um, they were doing a very good job of, a very good job actorally, of making sure all audience members at least have a perspective of one of the other's faces and gestures. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wanted them to, to not. I wanted, I wanted them to get mm-hmm. closer and maybe only be looking a certain direction. I kind of, I wanted that, I just wanted that conversation to be very avant-garde. Um, mm-hmm. And almost, I kind of wanted to be excluded a bit from it. I wanted it mm-hmm. to be just the characters themselves, not really having to think about, am I making my mark on this vertice so that my counter, you know, can yeah. make his, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah. So I think, I think I just wanted them a little bit more in their face. And I wanted, I wanted more 
heat as opposed to it being here's the section of the piece where we are doing the stereotypical Shakespeare cursing at each other that you can buy on the side of a mug like that. It felt like that a little bit to me, whereas I just wanted I wanted them to to know that that is something that they have to do in this moment. And I wanted them to just really give it. Um, and again, I think it's more of a staging thing. I don't even think I think the delivery of the lines were amazing. And again, the chemistry between um joseph and ben were was amazing to me but uh yeah so the the staging of the bantering i wanted it to be more in your face as opposed to structured mm -hmm. fair yeah. enough fair enough and ed you mentioned uh the lighting mm -hmm. yeah, yeah the costumes were kind of lighting your... and costume but yeah. i i'm i think a lot of the yeah. almost all the production elements mm -hmm. are very strong so that's mm -hmm. just me nitpicking Realize I sort of took that question a different way this time. I ah. actually talked about a portion of the story. It's okay. As opposed to like an element of the production. It's part of the directing. It's true. It's part of the directing. It's part of the directing element there. Which yep. this yeah, piece no. does make you think outside of the box, Ed. Good observation. <laughs> outside Very. of the hole in the ground. Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, filled with Very boxes good. of gold. Oh. Yes. Ryan, now why don't you kick us off in the next section? Which is what were some of the themes and motifs or ideas or symbolism that kind of stood out to you in this production? Sure thing. Well, I feel like this is just very present in the text, so any production is going to have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But just the idea of eating mm -hmm. and like gustatory actions mm -hmm. in general, like a lot of talk about the roots we've mentioned and the meat and, yes. you know, the contrast between roots and meat. And like there's several scenes on stage where characters are eating, which mm -hmm. I think makes the scene of the trays filled with water so potent. It's like, oh, this isn't food. There's been so much food and talk about food and like consuming. Like I was like the first time I read this play, which was like a long time ago with, there's a lot of talk about like even like consuming and eating time and, and like with, yeah predators are going to do them. I'm like, uh oh, is this going to take a Titus turn? Like, <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. But like, yeah, I just think there, there is a very, there is a very potent idea of eating consumption in here, which I think is going to come up again in another question mm. I know is coming. Um, is. But but yeah, and just like the fact that like Appomattis mm. always had like his roots, which were carrots, yeah. I think he was said, you know, sure. when time is digging for roots, and he talks about yes. how the He's confronted with the bandits and they're looking yeah. for meat, or he thinks they want meat when they just want mm -hmm. gold, but that's what the gold can be used for. So yeah, I think and that of course the tossing the apple back and forth is a great moment. And yeah. yes. Yeah, so like yeah, just the idea of eating mm -hmm. as like the kind of byproduct of what all this wealth, be it a lack mm -hmm. thereof, comes down yeah. to. Mm -hmm. Very true. Uh Ed, how about you? What was the theme or motif or symbol that you kind of saw? In the so show. two big ones. Uh, the first would be temperance. Um, okay. Find finding that mean uh, the medium of like because mm -hmm. Timon is the is the I guess sort of the pendulum of it, right? He swings yeah. so far into his into his appetite and mm -hmm. you know giving gifts and not really giving a care to his own financial security yeah. and. Then he swings to the other side where it's like, I don't want any of that. Mm -hmm. And I believe what I'm doing is right uh, by rejecting all of these materialistic things, and, you know, giving the gold away and all that. Mm -hmm. And Apomantis, who I believe is supposed to be the person <laughs> that, that mm -hmm. sort of walks the middle, who has yeah. temperance, who 
kind of shows or kind of tells Tymon, you don't need to be doing this to mm-hmm. like make your point. Um, and uh, like Appomattox just reminds me of, I could be quoting it wrong, but like Nietzsche's uh, uh, higher man, right? Where yeah. he's somebody that lives for himself and he, he does his own thing and speaks very much about it, how he mm-hmm. is indifferent to time into a certain degree and the and the government and the governing body to a certain degree I as think well. I have to take issue with some of what you're saying here though uh, if you don't mind because while I do I think Appomattox is, is certainly a foil to time and especially mm-hmm. in those early scenes I think I, I'm reluctant to call him like a more temperate character and like I think and he certainly I don't think he's indifferent to time and he's annoyed by time and, and all this excess, but he's very performatively annoyed by it. And I think he kind of gets off yeah. in being higher than thou more so than just being in a state of Zen contentment. Yeah. With I know better. And the fact that he has to make a big stink about it all the time kind of makes him a bit of bit of an ass, like <laughs> use a Shakespearean facsimile of a swear word. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I think they represent like early scenes time in and Appomattox represent two extremes and it's when they confront mm-hmm. each other near the cave is when we're supposed to realize that time is you know grotesquely becoming that second extreme that Appomattox like I said I want to see an additional scene where he realizes oh no I was wrong for being so misanthropic mm-hmm. and yeah. there is a healthy middle ground mm-hmm. um okay but, yeah. yeah that's a good point my yeah. other my other uh would be like the sort of slave master mentality mm-hmm. uh and this guy I guess goes more into di- like a directing and with acting as well it's mm-hmm. in shakespeare from what i've read and from what i see in my interpretation of it it's like the fool should be the person that treads that line that mm-hmm. kind of oversteps his bounds and speaks against him i mean that's usually the case when you, when you read it or see it uh, the fool should be the one that steps his bound, but Minius, mm-hmm. when he was yelling at the senator for, you know, how could you, uh, this is, mm-hmm. Timon did all these great things for you and, you know, throwing it all back in his face. And mm-hmm. I think it just would have been a bigger challenge and something a bit more compelling to watch if he was sort of, uh, stifling his tongue, right? Where it's like he mm-hmm. is speaking these words and, and it, it is like, you know, he can't, he can only speak to, he has to really use the language to get the point across that how dare you. Because at the yeah. end of the day, that is still a senator and that is mm-hmm. still a servant. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it just would have been a bit more mm-hmm. interesting to see. But that's just like one like staging technical note. But yes. I, like the, the slave master mentality mm-hmm. throughout yeah. the show mm-hmm. is how the slaves have more honor or the servants have more honor than the patricians. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. Timon is a slave to his coin or to the to the yeah. debts that he expects mm-hmm. to have people because he's given them so much while also mm-hmm. taking so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Jill, I know you had quite a few themes or things. I so did, and quite here. honestly, none of them have fully been flushed out yet. So I thought All I would right. be trailing trailing behind here. But lightning um, round, go. <laughs> yeah. um, so two of my so I have four, um, but oh, they're goodness. pretty short and sweet. Uh, but two of them sort of are uh, take a bit of a religious tone and the other two mm-hmm. are more of um modern materialistic views. Mm-hmm. So um we sort of touched on just going back to what Ryan was saying in regards to the food. Um 
And so I, I mentioned roots, the whole element and motif of, of roots and how I think in this production, it was very cleverly uh, flushed out with the whole carrot eating with Apimantis, um, mm -hmm. digging into the stage, as I mentioned before in this conversation mm -hmm. of what is the root of the play? What is the root of time and what is the root of humanity that sort of came out with me and segueing into my second uh, <laughs> symbolic point, uh, the, the idea of the apple to me, and maybe this is just by my Christian upbringing, I'm an agnostic now, but mm -hmm. um, the apple being the, the very prominent part in one of the biblical stories of the root of humanity, you know, the this Genesis. Exactly. Um, so to me, I, I, I saw, yeah, good. Yeah. So that the apple being a root of that. Um, mm -hmm. And so segueing into it, I could, saw... I, are you moving on to another one? Could I question something about that? Before? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say then is the meaning behind Appomattis offering that to time and knowing who does the offering in the biblical story you're thinking of? Yeah. Again, that that's where both my, my religious points aren't fully i would say rooted um because because i don't necessarily think that that Apimentus is a serpent i think he can be somewhat uh just by sheer in being in opposition to time in a lot of times or or you know jabbing jabbing his response to a lot of things i think he can be he's he doesn't uh shy away from mm -hmm. sort of being that tempting or or malicious presence in how dare you stand up in the middle of the party and you know start talking mm -hmm. rational when i just want to you know so i feel like there's yeah. elements of him being serpent-esque but i don't think he's necessarily an iago to, to time in us you know no, like, no uh, <laughs> i don't think he's overtly evil but i would say that yeah. if we were to connect those two um together that he would be a serpent and that the Serpent is something that's sort of like a necessary evil because it did give us yeah. knowledge. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So segueing too. Um, there was a lot of uh, Christ allegory for me in this oh. in this show, and I think that could read on the page as well as definitely for me in this production. Um, so just the idea of of calling sort of his friends comrades to a supper and almost the second mm -hmm. banquet being very resemblant of the last supper um mm -hmm. you know that's the moment where you know jesus basically points out the fact that now in this all these characters are sort of have judas-esque qualities but mm -hmm. um again so none of these points are are fully like they're going not one towards to that. One i'm not elbows. i'm not saying that time is jesus per se, well that's interesting but, well, Timon does dress like a shepherd yeah, yeah sure. but just that dinner yeah. scene too is an amalgamation for me of the last supper and also the temple outrage that jesus mm -hmm. um has done in many depictions of christ um what i think is also whole... sorry go on yeah no um you can actually talk to that because mine is kind of a new thought so. well what i think is interesting is that if you kind of equate that scene with like a last supper what does he serve as guests? It's not the wine that is my blood and the bread that is my body, but it's the water, which water. what Pontius Pilate washes yeah. his hands up. He washes his mm -hmm. self of his, yeah. you know, false friends. Yes. So right. like, I think, yeah, that's an interesting biblical parallel to see mm -hmm. mm -hmm. taking on the Pilate role there. Just the, like the degradation of, of Timon in the wilderness too. It really reminded me of, you know, the seven stations of the cross and the torture mm -hmm. and, and the, the, terrible journey jesus had to the cross on the cross it just and then he ends up 
inevitably dying too. Even just the fact that in a way, we'll get in tomorrow this, I'm sure, when we contrast and compare him to Lear. But to me, time and again, it's one of those characters that is a little bit like outside of his time or he carries a quality that people within his social circle or within his realm don't necessarily share. Um, so in a way, I think there's a lot of goodness that Timon has that other mm. characters don't see or they abuse, mm. similar to someone like Jesus, you know, where people mm. just surely couldn't understand mm. um, why he would be frivolously giving his life up to prostitutes mm. and the poor and such. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole denial sequence, too, of giving him money. Again, there was flashbacks of, of his own apostles denying him before going to the cross. So that mm-hmm. came up to me, too. And um, the whole the terror that happened at the end of the show with the bombing and, and seeing his once comrades potentially being no more, the bombing of the Athenians, mm-hmm. uh, just again, how supposedly there was a giant earthquake and upset in the world when Jesus perished. So there's just, there was so much little tiny can, slices yeah. of my childhood upbringing that I was like, hey, mm-hmm. this story kind of sounds familiar. Like that moment at the end, especially when you're casting it in this biblical light, it almost feels like the apocalypse and the rapture. Like yeah, the fact that exactly. all of the all of the senators who wronged him are now dead, and it's just Alcibiades standing alone, and he's like, "I'm right. the one true virtuous right. man, so to speak." Or right, or, yeah, yeah. And then my next two, I'll kind of make shorter, but uh, putting up an appearance, I think, is is huge in this show, and yes. even more so with this production. Um, we kind of already touched on it, but the whole name brand the brand names in every different house not only were they mm. present but all houses were different uh mm. brand names um the the business women their hair was similar to kind of my hybrid hair going on here it was very this is my place in society to be a woman in business i need to look astute mm-hmm. i need to have a certain swagger about me mm-hmm. um and then even like Appament is sort of defying the whole, what does it mean to put up appearance? I liked his sort of frumpy um, philosopher look and how he didn't change his clothes. So again, maybe he's a serpent in a sense too, of, of being a bit breaking the rules, devilish of I'm not, I'm not gonna put up appearance, you know, I am, you get what you get. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of comparison contrast to that for me. And then we already kind of touched on this, but the whole idea of excess, um, yeah. That's definitely and, there. Yeah, and a lot of that to do was apparent to me in props. Like we talked about, not only is it just iPhones we're using in this, it's iPhone, VR, and iPad. Okay. Um, same with the money. You know, it's presented in a check. It's presented in actual coins. It's presented mm-hmm. in stacks of cash. You the know, it can't just stallions. be one. Silver stallions, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the silver stallions. I was actually going to put that too. I was like, yeah. it's not necessarily, but it's worth something. So, yeah. um, and the party scene alone, you know, yeah. it went on so long. There was so many different elements. Yeah. The giant angel wings. I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. like fully understand what's mm-hmm. going on, but like, so um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. end of my mini lecture on symbols and beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. And all right, and we are now heading into the next question because Jill, you kind of covered all my points for themes and motifs with the apples and religion and as well as gluttony, all that good stuff. So we're not going to labor on this any longer. Okay. Uh, But let's head into the next part, which is, does this production hit the mark, and is it worth the watch? Uh, Ed, I want you to kick this one off, so fire away. I do think it is worth the watch. I've never seen 
Hymen of Athens before, and I did enjoy watching this production. Uh, yeah, so it makes me want to go read it for certain. Yeah. I think it's worth a watch. For and sure, that's, okay. That's, that's what I, I and I think I mean I I haven't read it, so I I can't say too much, but I, I wouldn't I I would say that it hit the mark. Mm -hmm. Yes. Ryan, as a resident TA, is this one you would want to I, show? I like students? how that's how you always pose this question to me. <laughs> so I, I, I think, yes, it definitely did hit the mark. I enjoyed it very much. I have read the play before, but I've never seen it performed. So I think this was like a good first production to see. I kind of, I think it's interesting. Something I said back when we talked about Coriolanus is that of the five Shakespeare productions we've seen so far in the series, this and Coriolanus are probably the two most like obscure or at least commonly seen and produced. So I think it's interesting that those are the two that have both committed to this contemporary setting. Mm -hmm. um, because I, the way I see it, like I think people who haven't seen Timon before or Coriolanus, they're probably like an easier sell for like yeah. the old time productions. Like, oh, I've never seen that before. Or like the classic mm -hmm. Pure Dress. Also keep in mind both of which are set not in like medieval or early modern Europe, mm -hmm. but in ancient antiquity or like Greece and yes. Rome respectively, or flip that because Coriolanus was first. But yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so I think there is something bold about taking the less commonly known plays uh, as opposed to say doing like, we've all seen Hamlet, let's do a contemporary Hamlet. Like you've never seen right. time in before. Well, here's our fancy contemporary time in. Mm -hmm. um, something that I will say um, is that I will also add that I have a feeling I don't want to psychoanalyze Stephen O'Matt or it's not even really psychoanalysis here but like I if I had to guess I would say the entire concept of the show probably spun out of the idea to do the mask as a stripper party interesting and I will kind of say this it was something I was thinking while watching it but it kind of cemented a little more when afterward I was watching mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if any of you watched it it was Anthony Cholino talking to Margaret Atwood. Uh, which I had a chance uh, to see it yet, no, uh, yes. He said something very interesting to Margaret Atwood and that he was quoting something that Tyrone Guthrie said about this show and I wrote it down because I thought it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all the boys together is how Tyrone Guthrie summed up this play. It's all the boys together. And I think mm. that is interesting, especially because like there aren't a lot of female characters, certainly not a lot of prominent female characters unless yeah, no, you really right. do like, and like what's interesting about that mask scene is that it starts with uh yeah one of one of Timon's friends says the ladies are here and then you know it, and as soon as you put this in like this you know contemporary businessman setting like it kind of clicks very obviously that oh the, the ladies are putting on a show for us okay the stripper party as this mm -hmm. and like when i think about the the mask in the original probably attempting to be the symbol of like excess that only like courtly performances would ever be a mask in this way more so than like the popular performance for the public i think this idea of like you know it's all the boys together this real boys club this yeah. you know favor economy that doesn't actually pan out when you think about it in mm -hmm. actual monetary terms as time and learns mm -hmm. <laughs> very aggressively yeah uh, jill do you want to say something also just what a great initial if that was sort of the stemming the root of why to do this production. <laughs> what an awesome cast bonding moment. You know, yeah. I couldn't help but, but it really got to a point. I'm watching it and it, you know, took me a while. 
okay, this is happening. Oh, okay, love that this is happening. Okay, and then I literally was doing this. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started thinking as an actor who I love, if I had the opportunity to really get to know my cast and mm -hmm. kind of chummy chummy with them, mm -hmm. I just kept being like, oh my God, no, they're probably gonna go out after the show and have a drink together and just mm -hmm. like, it to me, the, yeah, there's, a, it reminded me of almost the curtain call. Right, the right. same thing when they left that scene and then when you see them leaving the curtain call i was like oh it's that same energy you know and yeah. so it would be super neat if that was the first like here you go go ham pretend to have a party mm -hmm, yeah. chat amongst yourselves and now let's create yes. a play around it you know? so so mac like to tie this all back to your question of mm -hmm. do i think it hits the mark would i show it to students yeah um i don't have the same uh like gut impulse that I had about the Lepage Coriolanus mm -hmm. where I'm like, this wouldn't be what I would show students of Shakespeare mm -hmm. theater history, like for uh, yeah. in introducing Coriolanus, but it would be what I should show directing students. This one I think works very well as an introduction to Timon. Mm -hmm. I think Timon is also just like a, a, a stranger play, which I know the next few questions that we're about to ask are going to really flesh that out more. So I'll hold yes. my tongue on that for a moment. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it works for me. I would show students to it. I would recommend it to friends. Mm -hmm. And well done. It hit the mark. Very good. Very good. Jill, what saved you? Yeah, same same as my pals have already said. Um, it's so far, this has been the favorite one we've watched so far for me oh. personally. Because um, I think, again, it had Coriolanus comes in close second because, as I've already mentioned before, this play does a really good job of sort of creating enough of a modern umbrella, but almost it being post-apocalyptic so that mm -hmm. in a way the viewers can always relate to what's going on but then it always has them um their brains always have to be on in a sense as well yeah. if, if mm -hmm. that makes sense it, it's enough cushiness to kind of like mm -hmm. watch what's going on i can relate to this but then there's always like i wonder what's going to happen next i wonder yeah. what vibe of the scene is happening next where i found yeah. some of the shows that we've watched in this series that have been more of a period piece or so. Um, I knew which era we were in. I kind of mm -hmm. knew where the story was going, but with mm -hmm. pieces with this, I like and in, that whole thing. I talked with this Aquarius too, we're encompassing mm -hmm. any type of audience member. This yeah. piece does a really good job of that because mm -hmm. it has them questioning what's gonna happen next. It has that relatability factor. And it mm -hmm. also shows, as I mentioned before, this traditional Shakespearean text in a modern light. And mm -hmm. in especially, I think this, if I were to say, if anyone watching so far this series, uh, if I were to say, okay, you only have to watch one of Stratford's online thing, I would say this mm -hmm. one, especially but because- Preferably watch them all. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I would say this one because I, a, I thousand percent was on board with the filming of this one, especially yeah. because we were in a round where for people who aren't familiar uh, with seeing theater in the round, mm -hmm. You usually, as an audience member in the theater, you only get one perspective of a character's facial expressions or the dialogue they're saying, and the mm -hmm. other character's back has to be to you because so that your mm -hmm. audience friends across the way can have that same effect. Mm -hmm. So um, what's really awesome, and this came, I was like, I can't believe I haven't made this relation before, but that's what film does too. Film mm -hmm. can only give us a certain scope of a character. Mm -hmm. And so I think the filming of this production um, 
just bled way into into film in a sense yeah. already and and I knew I wasn't missing anything because I'm like well you know if I was sitting on that side of the theater then yes I would be looking at Flaminius right now I wouldn't need to I wouldn't have the opportunity to look mm -hmm. at what the other characters are doing so I think it's a really true depiction of sitting in the theater and watching a piece especially yeah. if theater down the way is going to become more more of a virtual experience mm -hmm. I think um if we get to a point where troops are allowed to sort of small groups get together and put on performances again i think doing theater in the round if it's going to be recorded and to have people virtually enjoy it i think doing it in the round mm -hmm. as opposed to proscenium or even thrust really is the way to go mm -hmm. um, i guess thrust would work too it would just um not necessarily be full circle it's around but mm -hmm. um yeah so so our modern take on theater being more filmic in a sense anyways mm -hmm. i 100 percent would um recommend this as a watch fair enough and i will piggyback on everybody yeah yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely agree with everybody saying it this production stuck the landing this mm -hmm. is another great example of a director having a concept and then seeing it all the way through and all those little details whether it's the set the costumes the lighting just hitting every one of those marks and just landing the show really well. I mean, performance-wise, we've talked about there were a few hiccups with Joseph Ziegler, where we kind of all kind of went maybe would have a little bit more of a varied performance, but that just could have been the day of where where he was playing to the camera. We don't know, um, but like he's I mean, overall, a great performer otherwise, it's still up in. He's a fantastic performer. I mean, I've seen I think him twice in the crucible and both times yeah. he's wonderful biff loman like, was fantastic a, a couple weeks ago when we saw him play duncan i think that role yes. is, was perfect for him because duncan is basically act one timing yes and, and that was the part that i think we agreed he was stronger in than yes, in the second true. half of the play yeah. so yeah absolutely was, yeah very yeah. good so for sure yeah no i definitely say and i also will say i would definitely want to be showing this to people because i think timon is a play that should move up in the Shakespeare canon ranks. Like, yes. I, I think it, I think it's very much on the lower end of people's watch list, kind of like a King John or a Pericles, which we'll be getting to See, uh, in I, the series. Mac, it's funny that when, like, my first thought, and I didn't say this, but when you ask me would I show this to students, I'm like, well, we're never going to assign time in, even in a full course of Shakespeare. So it <laughs> doesn't yeah. matter. But like, You could, yes, though. Swap something could. else out. Like, uh, I, I would love I to do a, like, obscure Shakespeare class where it's like, let's look at all the obscure well, and to Jake me, it's like, like a cymbeline or a or the or most a like relevant on a social realm. It's it's the most hitting the mark for mm -hmm. what society is today. It's yeah. almost like how have I never studied this play before, or let alone hear about it? You know, yeah. and watching it, I'm like, oh mm -hmm. wow, like yeah, yes. mm -hmm. very true. Okay, all right. So, woohoo! All stars for us for saying let's show it to the world. Um, let's head now into our textual kind of play-based question. We talked about the production, now let's kind of dive into the play a bit. So our first question is, uh, oftentimes when people are looking at the Shakespeare canon or watching Shakespeare, they often say Time and of Athens and uh, King Lear are companion pieces. They kind of came out in and around the same time. Uh, they're very similar to each other. Uh, so do you think these two is actually, is this true? Like, are, do they go together? Are they kind of a couple uh play um jill why don't you kick us off on this front sure so i initially started out with a flat no and i mm -hmm. had made a whole list of contrasting that i will share but i will say by mm -hmm. the end of it i was like oh maybe it's because they're kind of similar but also mm -hmm. very different that they do mm -hmm. go really well <laughs> yeah. 
So the, the first thing, you know, just going bare facts or whatever, I was mm -hmm. like, King Lear's king, Timon's a yeah. lord. Already there's mm -hmm. that different hierarchy yeah. in society we're dealing with. To me, I think the initial depiction of each character is very different. Mm -hmm. I sense more of a selfish vibe from Lear as opposed yes. to a selfless vibe mm -hmm. from Timon. So again, mm -hmm. uh, they didn't sort of match up in that way for mm -hmm. me. Um, we kind of already touched a little bit when we talked about Lear and Timon earlier, but the the decay of each character mm -hmm. was very different for me. I think Lear's was more mental and Timon's was more physical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just it started his whole uh, Lear was kind of rooted in the mind and rooted in mm -hmm. the family. Um, whereas Timon was was initially rooted in materialism. And so mm -hmm. that melting away and then showing him in this production literally each scene of him in the wilderness he is decaying mm -hmm. um so again their spiral was different for me it was mental and physical um and then i kind of already touched on this too family being the roots of um lear but then more uh, comrades and money being mm -hmm. the roots of timon so i Again, I was like, okay, they're they're very different, but kind of hovering around the same mm -hmm. old guy contemplating life alone. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the overall thing that would make it different for me is that their drive, their mm -hmm. drives are very different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I guess okay. in a nutshell, companion pieces, but very different, very different characters, mm -hmm. in my opinion interesting uh mm -hmm. i will piggyback off you on this yeah because thematically i think they're very similar to each other where both plays feature this kind of elder statesman who starts kind of in in the land of power and privilege and then ultimately kind of get thrust out into the wilderness with and, and that's kind of where their kind of uh similarities in. but also the other companion piece though is coriolanus like Time and I look at, I think of it as the love child of Lear and Coriolanus, where Shakespeare wrote this and kind of took the best elements of both of his uh, plays, where he's like, let's take the sack the city, uh, turn against the city elements of Coriolanus. We're going to take those elements and add that in. Then we're going to take the kind of descent of, we're going to kind of take the man being forced into the wilderness from Lear. And we're going to marry those together and create this one play. So for me, I kind of go, yeah, I, I'd definitely say you could program it where this where they where they where they're in the same season where we have the Lear also playing Timon, and then you also have mm. the Fool playing uh, 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 Flavius Flavius mm. uh, as well. Uh, you I could definitely do. I think Epimetus is closer to the Fool archetype, whereas I would say mm. Flavius is more of like the Albany or Kent, one of these like okay good loyal men. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Probably, probably mm -hmm. more so Kent than anything because, like, True. actually, yeah, I can see that. And yeah, yeah like Appomantis yeah. is he's less like overtly like the fool because he has yes. to also go through his own little arc, whereas mm -hmm. the fool yes. is just going to be like, I'm right about everything. Of the... Right. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But Ryan, what do you think? Uh, so, do, do these pieces go together? So I have a lot of thoughts about this. So bear with me. Oh. Okay. Uh, and uh, so initiate mini lecture number two. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So I would say, I definitely agree with the comparison, and I think 
the production team agrees with it too, because you may have noticed that there was a thunder clap and a start of a storm um, <laughs> in, the, in the sound design, which isn't like I double checked; it's not there in the text. Like that was whole cloth a decision by this production, yeah. which I think is very much hinting at like, ooh, Timon's going into the storm, even though. Right, right, right. Um, I would say that. While these are very palpable comparisons, I would call Simon silly Lear if I had to like give it like a silly Lear. This is a much sillier play than King Lear is, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's fun. I enjoyed it from beginning to end. Um, But and I think part of what drives me to say this is that like the plot, you know, everything from Act One and Act Three to that, it feels like one play, and everything in Act four and five feels like almost a whole different play. And like, I mm-hmm. see the link that bridges them together, but at the same yeah. time, like I, I commented on this earlier with Joseph Ziegler's performance compared mm-hmm. to Colin Fjord's performance mm-hmm. of Lear, that like, whereas I saw the very clear progression of this is Lear descending into madness, whereas mm-hmm. I felt like Ziegler was playing almost two separate characters. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of comes with the territory of the text too, that mm-hmm. there is such a stark shift. And even though there is the scene of him throwing water in the faces of his mm-hmm. former friends, I think mm-hmm. it still just feels like a completely different, like the play that I would almost even more so than Lear compare the mm-hmm. second half to is actually not one by Shakespeare. And it's one oh. by Sophocles, Oedipus of Colonists. I don't know if mm. you're all familiar with this play, but it's the... No? <laughs> It's the, the the timeline of the Sophocles Stephen plays is complicated, but basically it's the okay. last one that he wrote, but it's set between Oedipus the King and Antigone. It's a, like basically after the events of Oedipus the King, Oedipus mm-hmm. goes into exile and actually also takes place in Athens. So I don't think this is a coincidental comparison, but okay. Colonists, which is like the small township near Athens. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole plot of that play is just Oedipus is like, oh no, I'm blind, all that stuff happened, I did these horrible things, but is very steadfast when all of the other minor characters from that first play come and say, Oedipus, we need you to come back to Thebes, it's chaos, or you need to be buried because that's why the war is happening, because you haven't done your proper burial rites, and he's like, no, I will stay. And the entire second half of time into me feels so much more like that than it does feel like Lear, you know, with Grace in his heart and flowers in his hair in that whole storm sequence or after the storm sequence, so to speak. Um, I would say, so that's, I think, an interesting, more fruitful comparison that I want to draw. But the big thing, this is my last one, and then, well, we can move on. Sorry if I'm dominating this a little bit. No, you're good. You're good. You're doing fine. But I think... The, the most important distinction that I would draw between these plays. And Jill, what you said, it's kind of on similar lines, but I would take it in a slightly different direction. And Timon to me seems like Lear minus the redemption. Yeah. Or in many ways, I think, and since this was presumably written later, that maybe Shakespeare was changing his ideas on what redemption means. But while Lear comes out of the other side of this crucible as a changed man, realizes the error of his ways, for Timon, it seems that staying in the cave, staying in exile, is his redemption. It's not the crucible that he has to go through to arrive at redemption. Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting, the fact that, like, mm-hmm. like in the text, it's two scenes before the end of the play is the last time we even see the main character. He doesn't die yeah. in the final scene. We're told that he's dead after the fact. Um, which, yeah, so I think... Perhaps this is Shakespeare revising his idea of what does redemption mean if I'm mm. revisiting 
you know, what Lear should have done. Maybe Lear mm -hmm. should have just stayed in the storm instead of joining Cordelia's camp with the mm -hmm. French army. Um, but yeah, I think these are like obviously very similar plays, but when you really dig into the details, I think there's enough different about them that it yeah. might be a bit of an oversimplification to call them companion pieces. So you're mm -hmm. saying when you get to the root of each piece? The, oh, you are on a roll. I'm I on must a roll. Say, I <laughs> Ed, what say if you? Yeah, I gave it a flat no. I, I, I totally agree. They are very, they are similar pieces. I won't say mm -hmm. very similar pieces. They are similar pieces. Mm -hmm. I see it where the companion part of it possibly comes from, you know, they share those similarities, those similar elements. I, mm -hmm. I would see it like how if you were to stage Macbeth after Hamlet or vice versa, or, you know, in that order, mm -hmm. uh, like they have, they're both bloody or they both have death and they both deal with apparitions and i see it like that where they see some elements it is often said that macbeth is basically hamlet from claudius's perspective or vice versa ah. hamlet oh, is just Macbeth that. from malcolm's perspective mm -hmm. so it is interesting that you draw not that they are themselves companion pieces but yeah. you're not wrong for drawing that right. comparison yeah <laughs> that, that's that's how i see this where it's just the they're very clear elements that I, I can see where people would think it's a companion piece. I don't think it's a companion piece. I think the heart or the uh, uh, philosophies that each one are striving towards, the symbolism that each one carries are uh, different and telling a different mm -hmm. story. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, now we have our next question. Uh, which is, is it possible to read this play, Time Out of Athens, as one of Shakespeare's more overtly anti-capitalist plays, and what might he be trying to say about money, poverty, and the economy? Ryan, why don't you kick us off on this one? Okay, sure. Um, so right off the bat, I would say that capitalism meant something very different in Shakespeare's time than it does to us today, and that mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. worth noting. That said, I think this production, with its like businessman, motifs and design very much does get mm -hmm. at the root of you know what capitalism means today and these characters mm -hmm. being these agents of it um but yeah just the fact that to me this almost feels the plot feels like it's more out of strindberg than shakespeare to me just the fact that mm -hmm. it's all concerned with like ooh, creditors wanting their mm -hmm. due and having to pay yeah. that's like <laughs> Strindberg quite literally wrote a play called Creditors that is more about relationships, romantic relationships, but still comes in on this idea of coming and knocking for what to do. And right. yeah, like just the fact that more so than any other Shakespeare play I can think of, and maybe Merchant of Venice is another similar one. And I'm sure I'll, after we stop recording, I'll probably think of 30 more. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, money seems to play such an important role in yeah. the tragedy mm -hmm. of this play. And whereas mm -hmm. Merchant is in the tragedy, I think that's why it feels so much more palpable here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the speech that really cements it to me is when Timon is speaking to his gold. I believe it's in Act 4, Scene 3. And he says, oh, thou sweet king killer. And he goes on this whole lament talking to mm -hmm. the gold. Mm -hmm. And like, if ever there was a thesis statement for this play, I think it's like money is the root of all evil <laughs> but yeah like it's that everything goes wrong because and i also think there is an interesting reading to do today like with the fact that you know timon's wealth does not exist and like when we think about you know fiat currency and even bitcoin for example like just the fact that 
you know, ever since, you know, we want to comment on the gold standard, like a real Frank L. Baum, real Frank Baum here, but like, uh, but just the fact that, yeah, ever since we've gotten off the gold standard, like the actual, like, you know, units of currency are arbitrarily decided just based on market powers. And even like, right. just the fact that we ever gave value to gold in the first place, mm-hmm. it kind of is like the arbitrariness of money and much like time as wealth, which only exists on paper because he thinks he has it because these people owe him, but he really owes mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there is like a very scathing critique here and certainly the staging that this production did mm-hmm. by setting it like in the dressings of contemporary mm-hmm. capitalist culture and neoliberalism mm-hmm. in particular really brought that out. So I would agree. Interesting. Shakespeare was a comrade. Interesting. Interesting. Jill? Yeah, it's it's interesting because when uh, you pose this question, Mac, I didn't really obviously politics was playing a large part mm-hmm. of this piece, but I, this scope that I was looking at, it was never as politically charged for mm-hmm. me as it was more of like an anthropologic charge or philosophical mm-hmm. one. Um, anthropological, mm-hmm. there we go. Um, because to me, I think it's more about humanity itself than politics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more about individuals than the masses. So this right. is a great contrast to something like Coriolanus, which I think mm-hmm. that overtly is a political piece, mm-hmm. even in Shakespeare's mm-hmm. time and especially now. With this one, of course, that was the underbelly of it, but um, it, it was more so to me hitting home the importance of analyzing humans under a microscope Mm-hmm. Um, and how the idea of money and property and economy mm-hmm. obviously matter in the world. It's mm-hmm. how the world works, um, but it cannot function properly mm-hmm. without genuine relationships mm-hmm. between people. And I use genuine in a light sense. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about everyone is each other's mm-hmm. best friend because clearly, unfortunately, humans detest each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it that's what kind of played the part for me um, mm-hmm. was without true relationships of people, and this is hit in almost all of time in speeches, mm-hmm. um, nothing else, nothing else really can exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I think it nods definitely to be a play that a hundred percent can be staged to, to speak to an anti-capitalist sort of vibe, mm-hmm. but it, it I think it does a disservice if you only see it that way or mm-hmm. if you focus that that way, because I think mm-hmm. what was beautiful about this piece is that um, it's a character of Shakespeare's that I don't think we see often where at least at the beginning, he you see this selfless good guy, you know, mm-hmm. you almost every time you're introduced to a Shakespearean character, mm-hmm. you're you have their qualities in the palm of your hand, but you also have, oh, like that's where you're wrong or mm-hmm. that's where you're leaving a bit of a distaste in my mouth. To me, yeah. Timon wasn't really that. Like he, he mm-hmm. to me was pure and selfless, even though what he dabbled in, sure, could have been excessive and, um, but he was just a nice guy. <laughs> and then yeah. it's just heartbreaking, um, him hitting home the whole lack of, of, genuine relationships between people yeah. and mm-hmm. uh yeah i think there's enough stuff in the canon that mm-hmm. can touch on a political realm mm-hmm. i think this one needs to be rooted in mm-hmm. human um the, 
what Goodness it means gracious, to be, all these roots. To be uh, a genuine human being. And I think that's mm -hmm. a dose of, that everyone yeah. in today's society can uh, yes. have as well. So Yeah, and I'll piggyback off you on this because mm -hmm. I too also don't feel this is particularly anti-capitalist. Mm -hmm. I think it's more just Shakespeare commenting on class in general, like just societal class with between people. Not a capitalist like concern. no 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 i think it's about these different statuses within within these communities and just how as humans we're all about ourselves and we're not about helping each other like timon is the opposite of that like there's a great talk between ben carlson and joseph ziegler where they were where, where ben carlson was like what's wrong with timon like like why is he giving away all his money and doing all this good stuff for people and, D and ziegler is like there's nothing wrong with him. It's the rest of society that's totally backwards mm -hmm. and refuses to help him because if we all helped each other, mm -hmm. then we wouldn't have these issues. And then ties in with money where like we have the robber scene at the hole where they all show up to rob time and he gives them the money. And the one robber says, well, now that I have the money, I don't feel the need to go and loot and do mm -hmm. all these horrible things. Like I, I, right. I'm and okay. I can interject like everything you're yeah. saying sounds like you're agreeing with Socialist that this is this is a critique of capitalism like just the fact that yes if we were all like time and then we were concerned yeah. with needing you know all this money like it would be a better place and perhaps you know yeah. the fact that he you know can't you know cooperate with the people like is a mm -hmm. critique against the idea that we need to be cutthroat and seek out only our best interests mm -hmm. when a more collective idea of how to share resources would be better and even like the robber scene that you just mentioned i think mm -hmm. comes down to the fact that you know, now that my needs are met, you yeah. know, I don't even want yeah, it. Wasn't, good, yeah. It wasn't about the personal, like, mm -hmm. tribe to need it. It's because these robbers, you know, they need money to eat. Which they I do, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's it. Like, I, I, when there's no money and they're desperate, of course they're going to go loot I know. And it's, rob it doesn't sound exactly. like you're disagreeing. It doesn't sound like you're disagreeing with the <laughs> anti capitalist reading. It sounds like you're everything you're saying is kind of playing right into it, if you ask me. I don't know, because I, I, maybe it's the term anti-capitalist that I disagree with, because capitalism is its own thing, like trickle-down economics, like that kind of falls in that whole area where it's kind of top to bottom reaching yeah. versus that. So, so maybe it's the term that we're using anti-capitalist is what I'm not fully... Okay, what would you use instead? Agree. Well, like I said, I, I think it's more... A socialist piece. Exactly. Like, I could, I could Shakespeare talking about humanities way they treat each other because like if you think about it back in the elizabethan age or jacobean age if we're, if, depending on when this was performed 1600s uh like back then it was the king top down whereas that whole thing of the king was first and you had went down lords girls whatever peasants and the fact that he was commenting on sometimes you had these plagues and the and, and these crises or famines where like instead of helping each other they all just kind of turned on each other and went screw you <laughs> And mm -hmm. that's the same thing that happens with Timon, where Timon goes, I've given everybody, I gave people my horse, my, my, like, I helped you, I helped you get out of debtor's prison, all these things. And then ultimately they're like, well, I just made all these investments. I can't help you, which is something I, it was something we've all kind of had a situation where, where we've seen a homeless person say, hey, can you spare five bucks? And a lot of times we go, oh, no, I'm sorry. I don't have any change on me. Or no, I'm sorry. I can't help you. It's that same type of thing where as a society, we do this where it's, self versus us which I so think you're saying more, i feel like what you're trying to get at max yeah. is that it's similar to my vein of if it's yes. more of of a scope on humanity as opposed to politics bingo exactly yeah. like that's i feel 
because in a way I agree mm -hmm. if we were to paste politics onto this 100% mm -hmm. it's more of a socialist which quite literally is you could argue anti-capitalism <laughs> um, oh, so it, like it, it, I think it is it's the term yeah. that that mm -hmm. it's it's not important to, to put the term in yeah. the spotlight mm -hmm. um, because I also think it doesn't really, sorry, Ed, hey, hey what's up? <laughs> um, sorry, Ed, we're, we're going to get him to weigh in. After I you. also think it, it just, it also doesn't set us up properly for yeah. it to fully be considered an anti-capitalist or socialist mm -hmm. piece because he does come from sort of a capitalist point of view. You know, he was born mm -hmm. as a lord. He doesn't necessarily know yeah. the trials and tribulation of the ladder, the, the lower down on the ladder mm -hmm. of hierarchy of humans. Yeah. Um, he sort of places himself in that by the end of play but yeah. it, i think in a way it can't really be a socialist or an anti-capitalist piece because it's not fair to do that i feel like you would need the main character to be more of like a mediocre human mm -hmm. or one that's yeah. lower down on the hierarchy of humans I, my rejoinder to that would be that you know it's the argument that like what you know when we talk about whether or not there should be billionaires in the world like does anybody need a billion dollars or once you like and yeah, like I maybe Elon Musk say is a great guy personally, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, nobody needs that much money and let alone him. Right. Um, so like, yeah, I don't know. We don't need to keep harping this point. I want Ed to weigh in on this. Yeah. Issues. Ed, so let's see if you. I could use a, mil a billion dollars. <laughs> Couldn't we all? <laughs> no, we shouldn't. Uh, I, I agree with Jillian where I wasn't really watching it. I, I, I don't usually watch plays through a political lens, though mm -hmm. I guess I should develop that eye. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was, I was really paying attention to its more philosophical, some uh, symbolic elements. And mm -hmm. I, I do think it plays better with those elements than it does with the whether this is anti-communist uh, <laughs> anti-capitalist or, <laughs> or capitalist uh though i do think and i do agree that you can stage it that way and if that was the goal then i guess you could take that you could take that away from it um but i see i see the pieces being very very much hitting on like the human condition reference to like material things and like excess and 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 not having and I don't see Tymon as a good character to be. Uh, yeah. And I don't see the senators as black as they are depicted, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because they're not at a loss of money. And even if they do mm -hmm. have, uh, you know, excess, they are still taking care of their money. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it goes back to that phrase that I always like to say is like, uh, I got it from the movie Night Stalker with Jake John Hall. Is like you Ooh, uh, to win the to, yeah, I like that movie a lot. To win the lottery, you got to make the money to buy the ticket, right? Yeah. And so it it because uh, the thing that and I just this is why I think this is a very great piece where I don't think Timon was in the right to be lending out all the money that he has. Mm -hmm. And I think as adults, as we get older, and I think adults, older people know, should know this by now that that's not something that one should be doing whenever they mm -hmm. are, you know, uh, in financial spots or anything like that. So there's something to learn from Timon. And then when it comes to the senators and refusing him, they never, they never asked for those things. He just yeah. gave them to him. 
And so, one person does offer to pay him back originally. And Tywin goes, yeah. no, 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 no. And yeah. then, then something bad happens and he expects it to be returned. So I don't see the senators as completely bad mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, ill in their reasoning. So I will say, so that's my, yeah. Yeah. you can stretch instead of literally taking it as a monetary viewpoint of yeah. the sheer fact of time and just giving being a very giving because i remember joe it's it's ziegler correct yeah Ziegler's? yeah okay. ziegler, yes. um in his conversation with anthony and ben he was saying how time is just to get at least his depiction of or his mm -hmm. how he wanted to play the character was mm -hmm. um he just is a giving guy let's just mm -hmm. his nature is to give yeah. and in this sense it's money but i think if mm -hmm. you were to even do a totally different directorial perspective on this piece you could have it being another form of charity, you know, just yeah. giving. If you chose to, like, I totally agree with you, Ed, and I think that's what's super neat about this piece, and because it hasn't been done often, there's so many different avenues you can take on time and yeah. alone. You can kind mm -hmm. of make him this, you know, maybe they're all facets of humanity that have pros and cons, including mm -hmm. time in itself. Yeah. Or you could do the contrast of time and being this one person that no one else can understand because he surely lives his life on just being a charitable good-hearted person where yeah. the rest of humanity doesn't um mm -hmm. so yeah so i wasn't i wasn't disagreeing with you at all but i'm just saying like it, it's cool no, no. to see yeah. if obviously the text and this production lends itself to money mm -hmm. yeah. being this object of of greed and and mm -hmm. despair or whatever but that can easily be um viewed differently in a yeah. like this too there we go well said everybody all right now we get into the final question of this episode mm -hmm. uh which is why do we think this play is not performed as often like why is this one the, le the least performed plays in the shakespeare canon ed i want you to kick this one off uh i i mean i've never heard of it you're like it's in my anthology but i i am i just got Shakespeare's complete works, so I plan to have like read every single one of his plays by the time this whole quarantine ends. But nice. uh, good challenge for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, *Time and of Athens*. I thought it was something mm -hmm. I was like, "Is there still Shakespeare?" Uh, but mm -hmm. I think, I think because like all Shakespeare pieces are very dialogue driven and very dialogue focused. Uh, like that's mm -hmm. that's the key to Shakespeare mm -hmm. um, is the dialogue and time and i just think it's just one of those pieces where it's like it is all dialogue like it yeah. is it is important to get those nuances especially within time and speeches and mm -hmm. uh like his his like what others are saying as well in the piece mm -hmm. and i think it's such and just going back to how you know with like the symbolism and the and the philosophy of of this play or the different philosophies of this play it's very educational it, yeah. it really gets upon the human condition in my eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, he's so old when he experiences his, experiences all of this. It's like, gosh, you learned this so late. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, that, I think that's why there's just not, mm -hmm. there's just not as much action as a lot of the big plays have. Mm -hmm. uh, or, with the with the, like the king's plays those ones are very historical so like i can see why those are popular but with time and i think it's because it is very uh philosophical and mm -hmm. and very much more so than old, than other shakespeare plays mm -hmm. dialogue driven mm -hmm. yes 
Yeah. Ryan, as the resident TA, why do you think this is not put on the syllabus compared to <laughs> other ones? Well, something something about syllabi, I guess, that it's worth getting into is that, like, curricula in, in terms of whether or not, like, a certain mm -hmm. play will be, like, popular or well-received. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, usually we try to when we're designing a syllabus, we want to introduce students to the plays that we feel like it's most important for them to be aware of as citizens of the theater community when they enter that world. And like maybe we'll put in one or two more obscure plays if it's a personal interest of the professor. But mm -hmm. more often, it's like, okay, every theater student and theater worker needs to know Hamlet and probably needs to know Macbeth and The Tempest mm -hmm. and, and Midsummer and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so I think the fact that, you know, it is self-fulfilling that like, oh, they don't need to know Timon, therefore they won't know Timon. And, <laughs> and like, therefore in the future, like if everybody needed to know Timon, it would be on the syllabus. And I know this is circular logic. Um, I think kind of as you were hitting the nail on the head a little there about how this isn't like a very action heavy play, especially mm -hmm. in its second half. I think there is a reason why Oedipus the King, to use the example from before, is always on you know, introductory theater survey syllabi, but not Oedipus at Colonist, which is a, has a lot less action to it and certainly not as tight a plot. And I think the plotting here is not so tight. Uh, one last thing I would kind of add is that uh, we don't need to make like a big whole thing about this, but uh, it is often said that uh, the authorship of this play is somewhat contested. Um, in I was in my notes too. <laughs> well, yeah, like just the, the fact like uh, some scholars even like were, a lot have noted that there is clear evidence of multiple hands, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or collaborators in the writing of this. And often people will clearly identify uh, Thomas Middleton as yes. identifiably wrote part of this play. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that in academia, there is quite a bit of bias against some of Shakespeare's more collaboratively authored works. I think there is, mm -hmm. you know, like to use like Henry VIII and Two Noble Kinsmen, which we know for a fact were co-authored by John Fletcher. Those are also mm -hmm. lower on the end of which ones get produced. And I think, yeah. you know, there is this like myth of the autonomy of Shakespeare as the individual genius sitting around and we tend to not look too kindly on things that perhaps throw a bit of a wrench into it and mm -hmm. nobody can dispute Shakespeare's genius, so I don't know why we need to be so insecure about it. Um, also, something that I double-checked now before we started filming the show, because I, I thought I had it in my head, but I was wrong about this, is that they're also speaking of some ideas of contested authorship in this way. Uh, there are some plays that didn't appear in some of the earlier folios of Shakespeare's work. Pericles and Two Noble Kinsmen are usually the two main ones for that, which also gives some reason to speculate that Shakespeare was not necessarily the entire author of the work. It has this yeah. proto-apothecal status mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. and yeah, and I think that does make people a little squeamish, especially since we're trying to put forward the idea that this is Shakespeare. Shakespeare is the greatest writer ever, but like, well, how do we know where Shakespeare ends and Middleton and or other collaborators begin? So I think that has a lot to do with the bias that I discussed earlier. That was also in my notes as well, where I wrote, because this is one of the plays that is accredited as a Shakespeare collab play, it comes across to people as the lesser of the canon. So people are like, oh, well, we want to touch those because of that. So that was one of the first notes I made on that front as well. I also just noted, too, that because this is labeled as a problem play, similar mm -hmm. to Winter's Tale, Cymbeline, a lot, a lot of these other kind of problem places, the problem plays aren't done as often because people find them directorially or whatever, 
more difficult to get on stage and, and satisfy the audience. So from a producing mm -hmm. element, it's one of the things of, oh, great, we've got to stage something that people are going to have problems with. It, it, it's, it's like I remember um, watching uh, Henry VIII, that Stratford just did with Jonathan Gove. And it ends in a really weird way where, you, where, where it's like it, it ends with the birth of Elizabeth and yeah. it kind of negates all of Anne Boleyn and kind of focuses on Catherine of Aragon. And it's like, this is a weird kind of play. It doesn't kind of, it, it kind of like, leaves you wanting more. It's, it's, like, there it's is like, I want to get more into this. For people to say, oh, that doesn't make much sense. It must be Fletcher's fault because he, he is credited as a co-author. This play yes. couldn't be Shakespeare that right, later yeah. in life maybe had a few missteps or yeah. you know, some more confusing plays. Like, I, I think we put way too much currency on Shakespeare can do no wrong. And I mm -hmm. kind of always like to point out that in most yeah. Shakespeare plays, it's usually it's, one scene or one line of dialogue that really just doesn't work yeah. as much as like the rest is brilliant to mm -hmm. <laughs> like it yeah, uh, yeah. so mm -hmm. i think you know there is reason why people are concerned about that yeah and i also just want to note that as we've talked about this play kind of has the highlight elements of other plays whether it's a coriolanus a lear where like if you're going to be producing something it's like well why am i just going to go for like the play that kind of took those good elements and, and kind of cobbled together a mismatch puzzle and i can just do king lear which has a lot of great highlight elements all together in one versus taking the cobbled one which i see joe wants to piggyback so joe go which, because i think we've talked a lot of comparison between mm -hmm. lear and coriolanus and to me those are more mm -hmm. like i was saying drawn mm -hmm. out big like lots of characters huge yeah. storyline whereas this quite possibly is like a novella version of you know sometimes you don't want to read that 400 page <laughs> harry potter novel you just right. want to read like a, a little tiny novella of yes you know um yeah. and i think i think timon does um provide us with that i literally my mm -hmm. first answer to why do you not think this is performed often and i was like i don't know but hot damn i want it to be because i think yeah. <laughs> i think it's just like a really good it's a tidbit of of yeah. shakespeare and like i hit on before too um i think it speaks a lot to um it kind of places thing on places humanity on the head which i think mm -hmm. is a reason quite possibly in shakespearean time maybe what this mm -hmm. wasn't done especially because a lot of like the turmoil had to do with depicting wealth as being this mm -hmm. bad thing um where like in his time quite honestly it's because of the wealth and the higher status mm -hmm. folks that he was able to put on these plays or like mm -hmm. have the have the finance to do that um so you kind of don't want to bite the hand that feeds you and it's in a way true. um so i think quite possibly it could be mm -hmm. gonna say it again rooted oh. back oh. to shakespearean times because it was not a show that was done often. Mm -hmm. I think it just doesn't have the wherewithal that other pieces in his mm -hmm. canon do. Um, mm -hmm. That we know, like R and J, has been literally defies time. Um, you know, it has mm -hmm. so much more. The, the spine on that book is way more whittled than Timon's would be, right? Yes. Um, but I think, kind of going to and Ryan, maybe this is food for thought. I think, it, especially post pandemic, it would be very interesting, and I think needed to do a course on um politically analyzing shakespeare or so ed you might want to join if you'd like to uh to jump on the political <laughs> viewpoint bank bandwagon um I'll it would be student portal now <laughs> yeah there it is, there it is. Um, 
it just would be super beneficial, I think, to have pieces mm -hmm. like this. And even Coriolanus is not yeah. necessarily like I had the privilege of studying that at U of T when I was there. Oh. But I think it was one of the things that the professor really took a liking to it. And it was very politically relevant at the time. I think I took it uh, a year, the year that Trump was elected or the year after. Um, Oh, anyway, boy. so <laughs> right, so we had to throw a political piece in there for sure. But yeah. um, I think, yeah, including this mm -hmm. in in a syllabus going forward in, mm -hmm. in regards to taking shape the, the politics of Shakespeare, I think would be a super mm -hmm. neat course. Um, Writing a and, letter to the dean right now. And love it, love it so much. <laughs> um, and so I, I think you might. Hopefully, this play will be performed more, if especially if folks. I think where Stratford placed this in their sort of virtual viewing order mm -hmm. our table of contents rather is awesome because i think yeah. they've drawn in i mean there was no doubt that they would but they've definitely drawn in a constant audience at this point mm -hmm. and i think this piece is in a really pushy area of being oh hey look at this one right and yeah um it's not maybe, the one you want to open with like wet the right right but maybe people <laughs> will have the same sort of insights we've been chatting about of, of this being mm -hmm. a relevant piece and something to to perform more often now, especially mm -hmm. with the times we're dealing with. So there you go. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for this panel for today. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of The Cup. We love yeah. doing these with you. We have Yay. a very exciting panel happening next time as we're doing Love's Labor's Lost. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll be talking all about gender and identity in that, and we'll have some fun there with a very special panel again uh so be sure to tune in next week for that uh jill where can people find you if they want yeah, so to tune in what you do for sure people can find me on my artist's instagram account it's jillian.robinson96 um i also love to dabble in musicals and singing and mm -hmm. quirkiness too so you'll you'll mm -hmm. see my whole mm -hmm. spiel on there <laughs> maybe that'll be a next part of the cup series is, is we'll go into broadway hd and start doing some musical analysis love that just to have some 100 on there. board special well, guests already <laughs> We'll bring Ryan in for that one for sure. Ryan, where do people <laughs> find you? Uh, you can't, so don't. Uh, um, just follow Cup of Hemlock instead, and I would be mighty appreciative of that. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, follow Cup of Hemlock on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're doing all types of fun posts and social things, and there we got some really neat things coming on the socials in the very near future, so be sure to be following us so you don't miss anything good that's coming. Mm -hmm. Ed, how do people find you? Uh... I just want to say I love Ryan's responses. I'll find you, Ryan. Um, you I have me. on the one social media yeah. already. I just don't want strangers adding me on Facebook. If you have any questions for Ryan, just message me on my Instagram yeah. Yeah. at uh, Edmund underscore Clark underscore official, and I will just log Ryan down with this. Yes. And as my secretary, I am yeah. right now. <laughs> or you know what? And take all of the conversations and then keep them documented, but never show Ryan. Never. And then it's yeah. like, did it even happen? Yeah. I saw, I saw in the years down the road, it's like, hey, man, you really need to answer these questions. A little time capsule for future, yeah. uh, future discovery. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. And you can follow me on all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Also, be sure to tune into my podcast, Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. Also, uh, before we go, I think Will wants us to plug Ibsen's Ghosts, which is going to be yes. shared on our YouTube channel possibly soon. I don't really know timeline-wise in relation to when this goes up, but... Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll still be a little bit ways to go. A little bit of ways uh, to go. Yes. Um, 
So yes, as part yes. of our Play Book Club series. But yes, we are working on Ibsen's Ghosts, which is going to be going up probably sometime in July on yes, this mid July will be. Channel. We so if you haven't subscribed that. already and you want to spend some time with the sun, the sun, um, yes. you might want to subscribe now and never miss an episode of You Iron. might see some friendly faces performing. Yeah, like, you probably <laughs> will. But yes, yeah, definitely tune in. We, we, have, we have live play readings. Which may or may not be live. <laughs> well, live. <laughs> what is live anymore? Exactly. Exactly. I kind of want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of want to make another root pun before we before we go, but I'm oh drawing a blank. Jill, Jill, do you have another root pun for us? That's okay. Um, you know what? We're all doing this um, cup episode from Canada. Um, roots is a company, Canadian company. Yeah. Shout out and to that's how you know it's the end of the night. Hashtag yeah, not sponsored. We, hashtag we are done. That thank you, everybody. Was drier than my thank wine. You, thank you again. <laughs> Have a great Enjoy time, everybody. Nights. We'll see you next week with Love's Labor's Lost. Thanks. Cheers, everyone. Bye. All the best.